What's up, world? Episode 15 of Metal to the Masses podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uslar, and this week I got to sit down with one awesome individual, Mr. Julius Maddox. You guys may know him as the best bench presser of all time. He holds the all-time world record of 782 pounds done on a raw bench press, coming for an 800-pound bench. But besides just the bench press, this guy has an insane inspirational story. His background, his upbringing is very much like my own. Um, I was able to hear his story recently, and I knew right away that I needed to have him on the podcast. Uh, I wanted more people to be able to hear that, hear the hardships, what he's been through, you know, getting charges against him, going to prison, getting sober, um, and making his way, you know, to become the best bench presser of all time. And he is one of the most down-to-earth, humble individuals in the fitness industry that I've been able to meet, and uh, proud to call him a friend. Was very happy to have him on this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. All right, I am very, very excited to introduce this week's guest. I had the pleasure of having him down at the Ghost Gym Grand Opening Party and doing a little seminar, and he started speaking on his story, and I had heard little bits and pieces about his life, and uh, as soon as I heard it, I connected it to it so much, and I wanted to have him on and have all of you guys be able to hear his story as well. You guys know him as the strongest bench presser of all time, Mr. Julius Maddox. So, Julius, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So I had the privilege of meeting Julius. Uh, he came down for uh, my meet where he set his all-time world record bench. I believe it's 788 at that meet. Is that correct? Seven. 782. 782. Got you. So he came down. He was able to set what the current all-time world record is. And, you know, we got to talking and him being a ghost athlete, he was able to come down for the for the gym's grand opening. And Julius has literally emerged onto the powerlifting scene essentially out of nowhere, right? <laughs> and and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool story of how it all how it all came to be. You know, you guys just kind of see him on social media and where he is now. And, um, you know, he speaks on his story every so often. Not everyone has the opportunity to hear it. So I think it's a, it's a really cool one. But the way that I kind of like to just get started is, you know, you're a big-ass dude, right? You're 440 pounds, 6'3". What's your athletic background? You know, before we get into powerlifting and what it is today, you know, where did you start? Where, was the, where were the weights first? Were it sport? Was it sports? Or, you know, kind of let's just dive in early on. It's funny you ask that because, you know, as a, you know, in high school, while playing sports, I hated lifting weights. I hated it. Uh, for me, I always thought about, like, there's no way I would ever see progress uh, in the weight room. Though, I was very strong. Um, always been gifted, but um, I just hated that grind of, you know, playing sports and lifting weights. Uh, and, in fact, I think it kind of started from – my coaches not allowing me to lift weights in high school because I played basketball and I would, I would get too strong too quick. So um, how that carries over to basketball is I'd be going up for a layup and just miss the whole rim, literally. Uh, so they kind of, we kind of backed off, but to kind of give you a, a backstory uh, starting from childhood, you know, 
sports for me was just something that I felt like would make me popular with other kids, you know, put me in the in crowd. Um, not only that, but uh, kind of somewhat, I'd say, um, helped me to have a better relationship with my dad. So, you know, as a kid, we always longed for, you know, our parents' um, attention and, and not just their attention, but, um, you know, just their, their overall, like, well-being as far as a parent, what a parent does to a kid. And you're soon to find out uh, and experience that real soon, correct? You're having a kid, right? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked. So um, I just felt like sports would help um, fix those issues. Of course, growing up, uh, my mom worked to provide for uh, the family and my dad. Basically, uh, you know, he hustled and partied for a living. You know, so it was a very dysfunctional upbringing. Um, but it was the norm. It was just the norm. My whole family was known for you know, selling drugs and just living that lifestyle. So uh, part of it, well, I knew that there was the opportunity for me to like, you know, head that direction. But, you know, I wanted, deep down inside, you know, I wanted to do right. So just found myself starting off, uh, one, at the age of eight, I was 178 pounds. So I couldn't play any pop winter football. I couldn't. A lot of, like, contact sports, they wouldn't let me play because I was just too big, massive. you know. Yeah. I was massive. I was the biggest are, are your pa- Are your parents big individuals as well? No, my mom's probably about 5'4", and my dad, yeah, my dad was a pretty big guy. My dad was about 6'5". Okay. So, um, but he was, you know, he had a thin build. He wasn't as, uh, literally, I don't know anybody in my in my family that's anywhere near my size. I have one cousin. He's, he's pretty big, but not nowhere near my size, you know, so just a genetic freak, uh, since I could remember, just put it this way, in high school, uh, by the 11th, by the 10th grade, I could dunk a basketball with two hands and I ran a four, eight, like I was extremely athletic. It was crazy. Um, and that's why the hopes were high of me playing some kind of, uh, division one sport as far as mainly football or track. But, um, it just, it didn't, you know, as you get into the in crowd and you start to, um, do those same things and, tra- and, and and acquire those same traits and characteristics as people living that lifestyle. Um, like you, you're going to fall right in, and that's that's what happened. You know, I got so invited. It consumes to a- you. Yeah, oh, it does absolutely. I got invited to a party with uh, some of the seniors, and you know, it's a big deal being uh, uh, a freshman hanging out with upperclassmen, and uh, somebody passed me a beer and. I didn't like this. I felt like this was my chance to be in the in crowd. So um, I didn't want to, you know, look like, you know, or feel like I was an outcast because I wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. So um started drinking beer. And then, as you know, it just doesn't stop there. You know, the when there's parties about every weekend throughout the school year, you know, you're going to be there. So it went from that to, you know, experimenting with drugs. And then once, we added, you know, uh, drugs to the equation. It just, I wasn't the same mentally uh, or physically by, by my senior year. Um, so I ended up going to Western Kentucky University. Uh, didn't pan out there. Started selling drugs on campus. Just living that lifestyle, party lifestyle. Got kicked out of school. Came back to Orangeboro. Um, and just lived, you know, lived every day like it was my last for, you know, the, the next seven seven years. Uh, you know, just in and out of jail, but, uh, eventually I caught, uh, I got, I had caught a trafficking charge while I was trafficking pot, weed, and, uh, ended up getting probation, 
Well, uh, about a year and a half later, I got caught trafficking again. But this time I was trafficking pills, like prescription pills and marijuana through the mail. And um, got busted. And this time there was no bonding out, no getting out of jail. Um, got revoked on my previous charges. I was going to prison this time. Ended up getting two five-year prison sentences. And uh, this was 2012. And I had already had a, a daughter that was uh, six months old. So um, my time, my, my stint in jail, you know, I had been in there in and out probably 20 some odd times. But, again, this was the longest stay. And one of the pivotal moments was um, my wife had bought brought my – uh, she just had turned one. She brought her up to the jail that day on her first birthday. And it just, man, there was so many emotions running through my mind. Like, you know, being a kid and growing up and knowing that I would never put my family in a situation because, you know, that's what I struggle with, you know, just insecurity and, and, you know, the unknown of being a kid and, and stresses that kids shouldn't bear, you know, um, that, that I would never be that dad. And, Sure enough, uh, my daughter's first birthday was spent behind a, uh, you know, uh, locked up in a visitation room um, in this metal booth with this two-inch thick piece of glass separating me and my family. And it just, it was, it was just a wake-up call. Uh, you know, my daughter attempted to try to touch me through the glass. And it just, you know, to me, it was like she spoke to me like, Dad, why can't I touch you? And it just woke me up. I just realized, you know, like, uh, the first time ever that, you know, that my actions, the full weight of my actions, that it just doesn't affect me, that um, it affects, you know, my family and everybody around me. So, um, you know me, I, I've told it numerous times, and I know everyone's journey is different, but, uh, you know, I'm a man of faith, and the only way that I feel like I've made it through and got to where I'm at is, is Jesus Christ, man. I went back to the cell that day, hit the floor, and I just basically pleaded and begged God. And, and that's kind of like, in a nutshell, like where things really started to change as far as my mental, physical, and uh, spiritual. You know, I ended up getting out, going to a long-term recovery center. Um, I want let, let, me, let me ask you a couple questions up until that point. So this was 2012. How old were you then? 2012, I was 25 years old. You're 25. So you, and you had been essentially in this lifestyle since high school, since you were like 16, yeah. 17, 18. So it was, oh. like you said, seven years of just, you know, living day to day, not knowing what the fuck's going to happen, who the fuck you're going to piss off, or what, what can happen next, right? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, when I, when I say the lifestyle, just to go in, I mean, I know some people are like fascinated by this type of stuff, uh, but I'm talking about, you know, um, some of the hardcore drugs, you know, cocaine, um, MDMA. It was, I loved the party drugs. I loved, um, popping ecstasy and MDMA. That, that's my, that, that's why I stay far away from that stuff because I'm so, you know, I got, I remember I went on a, I went on like a two month bender where I was popping ecstasy every single day, every single day. And for those of you know, that have took it before, um, you know, that those are, it's not a drug that you can take every single right. day. And right. live life. 
I was, I mean, I, I was on a similar boat. I'd be, you know, snorting Coke and then snorting Xanax to level shit out and like uppers yeah. and downers and Xanax every single day because I was so depressed and I hated myself and I hated the lifestyle that I was living and the person that I was. Uh, my family hated me. My friends hated me. My bandmates hated me. And I just, I hated who I was and I was popping Xanax like fucking candy. And then there's Coke around and I'm doing that stuff too. But, you know, wh- where a lot of it started for me, like I didn't just jump to the harder shit. It is it was this is something that it's very controversial except especially nowadays and I want to just go on a side story and ask your opinion on it and talk about yeah, it because for me it all started with marijuana it all it all started with weed you know and for me this was back in you know um, 2007 2008 2009 right where I started smoking weed and then it became I was smoking weed all day every day and then it became that I was selling weed you know like it started with selling weed because it's so easy before it got to selling pills you know and uh it's it's pretty crazy to me that like marijuana is so normalized now and I see how it can have a place for a lot of people and I see how it can be appropriate but at least for me like that was the gateway and that was a segue into everything else and for me I started smoking weed when I was 13 years old and I ended up dropping out of high school before I was 15 because I was high and smoking all day every day and going to school kind of trying to go to school high and it wasn't working for me you know what I mean and I see see so many people now weed is looked at so medicinally and you know they're smoking weed all the time but it's still destroying their productivity yeah absolutely so i mean it's a it's a controversial subject anyway um due to you know like i said me having a recovery background and um i think i don't have anything against it i think the biggest thing is where where are your priorities at you know um i have you know I can explain this this way. So for me, um, and it's not much, like I still take, you know, CBD and things like that. But like whenever I'm going through a heavy season of lifting nonstop heavy weights and even through the deloads, like my body aches to the core. And the only thing that I found is like hemp products and CBD products that kind of alleviate. Now that's not given, that's not um, the, the concentrated or doses of marijuana that, the typical person has right in a role like um i do believe that it has medicinal purposes but it boils down to your priorities if you're a high school kid and you're smoking weed every day you don't have you're not bringing in money legally to support your habit then you have you know one uh, it's against the law and two you have no business um using even even i would say to someone who is um into weightlifting or into uh, some type of sport well, let me shut this door in some type of sport and um, they're in some type of sport and their priorities isn't, aren't all aligned or lined out, um, then I could see it being a huge problem. Same thing with drinking. Um, I think it's, I it's, a, it's for the people who like lack the discipline, right? That like it, it, they can, you know, if you have an addict mindset or just, you know, you overindulge and you can just go down a spiral. It's, I loved the feeling of being high, so I wanted to be high twenty four seven. It's one thing if like you know, I guess you're smoking a little bit at night to relax your body, help you sleep, help your body recover. It's another thing when it's yeah. how you are twenty four seven. Yeah, absolutely. Twenty four seven. It's all you think about. You spend majority of your money on it, like. I guess that's the problem. That is a huge issue, you know? So, but it's just like with anything else, for example, um, you know, 
still battle a, a bit of depression here and there. It's just normal. I don't know if it's because of all the drug use um, that I've done. It's just my chemical imbalance is just way off. But, um, you know, I had an opportunity for, you know, to get on some type of benzo um, downer, such as Xanax, Valium, or Klonopin, and uh, I won't do it. I won't because, bro, I'm telling you, whenever whenever I'm on one of those benchers and it comes to Xanax, like I'm stealing, I'm robbing, I'm doing stuff. I, I'm oh, a yeah. completely different person. I'm a klepto, uh -huh. whatever you want to call it, I am, and I'm okay with it whenever I'm uh, indulging in those things. Again, we're not saying that um, that it's, we're not demonizing it, demonizing it for everyone, but we're just saying for us, like we can't do those type of things because, you know, we have that that um, that mindset of whatever makes us feel good, we're going to indulge in it. Yep. I think what made me fall in love with weightlifting. 100%. Is yep. Finally found something that I can indulge in and get enough of, and it's rewarding on the other side. So let's look at it this way. If what you're doing is creating more productivity, then good. But if what you're doing is taking away from you being um, uh, uh, productive and in a positive manner, then I would kind of, and that's just in life in general, whatever it is, then I would kind of take a look at it and do like a self-assessment and say, is this worth it or, or not? You and, know? and that's what it comes down to is exactly that, that what the fuck moment, as I call it, that you yeah. had in prison is the same moment that I had when I was like 19 years old where I'd been trying to get sober on and off would stop pills, but I'd keep smoking and drinking, you know, I'd stop smoking and drinking, but I'd still be taking Xanax because my mind was just in a mental rut. It was yeah. like when first trying to get sober, your mind is, you know, that was when my depression and anxiety was the worst ever. Absolutely. And it's like, you just need to have that. What the fuck moment to put yourself in check and to look at things, you know, from the outside and realize, you know, what's causing negative impacts in your life, what is positive and what's not. And it's, like so we both had those moments and it was like when you have that moment for real it's like there's no turning back right because i had like i had a few what the heck moments you know like i had you know scares and things that i did and like you know people i pissed off and i'm like and then the next day i'm just back at it you know but when you yeah. really have that moment of truth that's where it's like you know if you if you want it bad enough there's no turning back right i think that's one of the the things is that um when the pain when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, then you'll finally change. So when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, then you'll finally change. So it has to hurt so much mm -hmm. for you to say, look, I'm, I'm freaking done, that it becomes a breeze when you are trying to change your life. Think about this, though. Think about how, because I've done the same thing, how backwards it is that, you know, we get off one drug or go to another or we try to substitute for something else. And a lot of times, you know, as drugs, I hate using them that way, uh, but anyway, um, have, have an effect on both sides. So meaning that if you take the drug, it's going to make you depressed. And that when you're off the drug, it's going to make you depressed. So you're stuck in this cycle, you know, uh, this revolving cycle where it just goes over and over again, and it's just the same spiel. And I think that's what keeps people inside of addiction and where they can't, because believe it or not, like whenever, even whenever we had the, that it is so evident that, that it's, that it's saturated in our sport. I mean, in sports of all kinds, you know, but where I, I've had at least 
even down in Miami at the Ghost Strong uh, or the Ghost uh, Miami opening, um, I had multiple people come up to me and talk to me about addiction and about what they're struggling with in life. And it's just like, it's an open setting. So I say that because there are people out there that are wanting to change, but they don't know how to do it. Right. They want up, but they don't, maybe they haven't felt enough pain yet, but they know it's coming. They don't know how to exit out of whatever they're going through. And I don't think there's anybody in the sport and this became a great idea, but um, I don't think there's anybody in the sport that counsels people. Think about it. Have you ever heard of another powerlifter that counsels other people that have struggled with, you know, addiction or an addiction doesn't have to be just drugs, of course, food, porn. Um, All there's many different things that that um, lead into addiction. Uh, So, but I was just thinking about it. Like, there's nobody to talk to, you know, and and that's what keeps people in this in this cycle. You know, I don't know if I'm rambling on if that makes sense or not. No, 100 percent, because it's like, and that that's where it's 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 social media is so influential, right? Because people are still gonna they're gonna look at someone like you, they're gonna look at someone like me, and they're gonna be like, man, I, I want to be that strong, I want to be able to accomplish that, I want to be able to accomplish this, I want to be able to do that, and they you know they have all those other things in life just holding them back from whatever it can be, and not as many people speak upon those struggles or you know their pasts or like their very very dark pasts, you know, like you know yourself and I have so you know it's it's nice to be able to do things like this and then you do your seminars and the way that you speak on those things it's 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 huge you know absolutely to circle back around so in in back to 2012 you're 25 years old you finally have that that moment of reckoning and you know realizing that just something's got to change something's got to give up into that point your your life was just Partying, selling drugs, doing drugs. There was no fitness, nothing in your life like no, that, right? No fitness. Um, I went briefly for like three months, but I mean, again, there was no, there, there was no consistency. Um, so I had a few jobs that I tried to work for, you know, like construction and things like that, and and um, you know, that didn't, you know, that didn't work out either. And I was still selling drugs on the side. Um, I just never like, I never seen how a man is supposed to operate or move like you know what i mean like so for example i've had friends where you know their parents are up they wake them up their breakfast is ready on the table um you know the stuff you see in the movies like like the american dream family you know and um i, I had friends that were like that but for me i've never seen it never seen you know my dad you know put his work boots on and work clothes on and, and get up and go to work and come home and you know, interact with the family or whatever the case was, you know, never seen it, you know? And I'm not saying that my dad put it off on my dad. Like it was like, he was just this horrible guy. He was just stuck in his ways. Like eventually I got to that point also, you know? So once I got a taste of it, I started to realize um, how dark and how deep and how tough it is to get out of those seasons. So uh, once I got into this recovery program, um, it's like, you get up in the morning, early in the morning, you do meditation, then you go to work, and then you have to come home. Uh, you got chores, you got classes. So what I did to, like, because I would still struggle with, you know, um, depression, I would come home, and I'd be just so pressed out, and I, I feared that, you know, at some point it would be too much, and I would just leave and go get high, you know. 
because I think they say the average person goes to nine different recovery programs before they finally get it. And it was like my first time. So I've already had this set in the back of my mind that I'm probably going to mess up, right? Uh, it was like it's this irrational fear uh, because everything that I was doing was showing that I'm, I'm doing what I'm, what's necessary to, to succeed. But anyway, I would go down to this. Uh, th- these homes were, were the three houses that are uh, converted over to community living, the rezone for community living. And uh, a couple of the homes, like 100-year-old homes, they're old, but they've been remodeled inside and all that stuff. Anyway, so one of the houses uh, had a basement. And literally, it was like a scene off of the movie Saw. It was just grungy. There's algae growing up the walls. There's dirt floor. But there's a bench, a curl bar, uh, some 45s, some 35s, and a couple 10s, you know, just just random place. And, um, you know, I found myself. I'm already dirty anyway because the jobs that I was working were uh, jobs that, uh, you know, like construction jobs and things like that. So I would go down to this basement, put some tunes on, and, I mean, get to work. I did the same thing every single day simply because it made me so tired that my mind would stop racing. You know what I mean? I would wear myself out every single day. There was some weeks where, you know, some months where I went every single day, every single day, seven days a week, hour to hour and a half every workout doing the same thing and it just became an obsession Uh, I just I I couldn't that's all I thought about was eating and and lifting weights and of course my family but uh, but there came a time where I just I just kept getting stronger we didn't know my cap you know it was just like uh, I would move up you know 10 to 20 pounds and it would just it would be a breeze and I would just do it for sets of 10. And, of course, I didn't know anything about weightlifting or programming um, or anything like that. I just, from what I learned in high school, like sets of uh, sets of three, four sets, um, you know, 10 reps, pyramid down, you know, just old typical football, football setup. And um, just did the same thing for months and months. And I think it was maybe my fifth or sixth month in there. Uh, we was down in the basement, and one of the guys was like, I bet you can lift every single plate. It was a rhetorical question. Just, just you know, shoot the breeze. We're just talking. And I'm like, you know what? Load it up. That's what I said, load it up. And they began to load all these plates on this bar. And we used every single plate that was done in that basement. And uh, I, before we didn't even add the weight up. We just threw it on there. And I repped it out for three reps. And I can remember that it wasn't really, it wasn't even that heavy at that time. And we added the weight up, and it was 505 pounds. And everybody down in that basement was blown away, and I'm just, like, totally, like, oblivious. Like, I don't even realize what I just did, you know, um, doing something like that and have no history in, in the sport of lifting or anything. I'm just just strong, you know. And uh, I ended up doing – one of the guy, one of the counselors there was like, hey, um, you realize that there's not many people doing what you're doing. Like, there's very few people – doing that type of weight, especially at your age. And uh, I think I was 26 at the time. I just had turned 26. And uh, I remember him telling, showing me C.T. Fletcher, Leroy Walker, and like Big Boy and Kevin the Hulk Washington. And I was just, 
I was hooked. From there, I was like, "I'm one day I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be right there. He's gonna be yelling and screaming at me." I thought that down oh, at that yeah. base, gonna hook up, and uh, I did it. So most people don't know this either. When it, my first competition that I that I had, um, I had to get a furlough to leave the recovery program because once you once you check in, you you can't leave. It's a uh, it's an in house recovery program, so you can't come and go as you as you please. So I had to basically check out, go do the competition. Somebody spotted me thirty five bucks to get into this competition, and uh, and I was confident. I was like, look, just just spot me the money, and I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win the hundred fifty dollars, and I'll pay you back afterwards. And sure enough, um, blew it out of the water at that meet. Then uh, I did a meet. I hooked up with Josh Bryant soon after. Then I did a meet. I did a, I did a real sanctioned meet. My first sanctioned meet, uh, I pressed 605 in my first sanctioned meet. Give me the timelines of this. What years were this? Or what was this? 2000 and – okay, so 2013. 2013 was the first competition. That was in May. And then six months later, I believe, the next year, I did my first competition in Jan- – I think it might have been January. Um, so that's 2000, beginning of 2014. I hit my first 600 pound bench in an actual sanctioned meet. What did you weigh then? 375 pounds. You're still big as hell. I was still big, but I'm no, like, when I look at some of my old pictures and compare them to now, it's, it's crazy. It was like, it was like more of like a fat big. It was a fat bitch. It's funny because me and my wife were talking about you this morning. I was telling my, my mother and father-in-law, I'm like, oh, I'm doing you know this podcast today. This guy's massive. He's 440 pounds. And my, even my wife was like, but man, he doesn't eat. None of it looks fat. You are the most built 440 pound. It's just shoulders, traps, arms. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot, of, a lot of people, I've had people come up to me at like expos. And when they see me in person, it was like, look, I kind of feel bad because when when I see you on on um, social media, you look like you're just short and, and just fat. <laughs> I have people apologize, like literally come up and apologize <laughs> for uh, these feelings they've had or, or them assuming. And I'm like, it's it's not a big deal. They don't realize like I'm six three and a half, four hundred forty pounds, but I'm built different. You yeah, know? exactly. But, uh, yeah, I get a kick out of it sometimes. You're the definition of built different. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a t-shirt right there. Built different. That's it, man. Okay, so there you go. So this first 600-pound bench, 2014, and that's just what made you fall in love with the journey, huh? Uh, absolutely. Once I started to see that, because um, I never really applied myself sober. You know, I've been smoking weed since I was like 14, 15. So really, I, I wasn't clear-headed. In it. You just can't. It's, it's nearly impossible you to be that age and you using drugs and thinking that you know you already walk around with a chip on your shoulder anyway so it was nearly uh, once I was sober and I could see clearly and see that if I really set my mind to things that I can achieve whatever I set my mind to it was just it was it was game over that's awesome man so continuing off of that so 2014, that's still pretty early on. When when was it that you know you really realized that you had 
you know, what it takes to be one of the strongest bench pressers in the world? When, when was it that you kind of blew onto the scene? What, when did you send the, set the goal of, you know, benching 700 pounds and, and all that? Um, so, okay, let's, let's think through it. Um, from day one, once, uh, so I, my buddy, the counselor, the one that told me like, Hey, you should do some meets. Um, he was my workout partner. His name is Josh Patterson. But, um, he used to sell me ecstasy pills a long time ago. <laughs> then he changed his life. And then, um, you know, he was there with me and he was like, look, you know, you should probably start getting into these competitions because you'll start winning. And some people, you know, they win some, a significant amount of money doing this. You know, I'm broke at this time. You know, I'm working, I'm working. When I first got into powerlifting and I finally got through with um, graduating the recovery program, I was working a full-time job, a part-time job, and lifting weights. So, and that was 2014, 15, 16, 17. I was working two, two and three jobs, um, and powerlifting. I was, uh, I was doing, I was painting. I was working for a the the recovery program that I graduated from, and I was doing drug testing on the side. So like I, it was like a nonstop grind. But to answer your question. From day one, Josh is like, look, you don't have any training, any training, never had a coach. Uh, you have the ability to break the world record. And I'm like, the most I've done at this point was, no, my first meet I broke, the first meet was 625 pounds is what I, what I hit. And it seemed like it took me over a year to get to 650. But Josh was telling me from day one, like, look, if you stick to the programming, you do the follow the programming, you are going to break the world record. And, you know, I'm 26 at this time, and I'm thinking, I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Like, that just, just seems kind of like you're talking going from 625 to, at the time, it was 722 set by Eric Soto. Uh, then, as we progressed, Correll came and broke the record again and set the bar higher in 2015. But uh, that's when I decided, that was the pivotal moment was whenever Correll broke the all-time world record at 730, 738.4.1 or something like that, is when I realized, like, hey, look, I better get serious. You know what I mean? And, and, and I remember the thoughts running through my mind, like, you know, I'm not going to be doing this for nothing. So if I'm going to do it, I need to go all in. Because just to be honest, Josh had so much programming, so much volume that I've never even – knew about lifting weights or volume or anything, but what he programmed just seemed like it was overkill. And I remember I, there was days where I could barely even paint a wall because my arms were so sore, but like I pushed through it. You know what I mean? And um, then it just, something hit me and I said, all right, I'm going to start completing all my sets. That's when the mind, the, the like the paradigm shift happened. Like my mind flipped from just, going to the gym and just doing the workouts just so I can call my coach and say, yeah, I completed the workout. Um, instead of that mindset compared to like every workout that I do that it's going to set me up for success in the future. So that mind switch kind of flipped to where I didn't just look at training just as a chore. I looked at it as like, this is my meal ticket out of here. This is my meal ticket from uh, having to work a 
a, a manual labor job 10 to 16 hours a day, you know, and once that, that, that switch flipped, oh, it was game over. I started seeing like the average person is only going to add, I mean, you, uh, you probably agree with this 10, I'd say up to 10 pounds on their one rep max per year. And it seemed like, it seemed like from 2015 to 2017, um, it was like almost anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds every time I competed. So it just, so those years was, were literally jumping like almost 30 pounds each year. And 2018 was when things, when things in my life really started to change. When the sponsorships came and people started to really recognize who I was in 2018. When I broke, um, to, 2000, February 12th, 2018, I I became the fifth man in the history of the world to bench press over 700 pounds. And then from there, it was just, it was over. And then August 2018 over. is when you broke the all-time world record, right? Yeah. Then, I was there. Was, I was competing. Bossa Bosses. It was, later that year. was it later that year? I think it was, it was Bossa Bosses in 2018, no? 19. 2019. I missed, I missed 2018. I missed all attempts. Correll was there. That was the first time I met Correll. He was there. And I just remember it going through my head like, man, I'm gonna bomb this lift because all these guys are here. Like everybody, it was intense. Like it was like everybody was chomping at the bit. You know, it was like this animosity because uh, what's what's the the, the shorter guy uh, that always competes against? Um, they always compare him and um, uh, oh, I can't even think of his name now. John Hack. Uh huh. John Hack and what's the Russian? Yuri. Uh, Yuri. Yuri. Gary Belkin, right? So um, it was just this weird, thick animosity in the air at this meet. It was probably one of the weirdest meets because it was just like Russia against the United States, right. basically. Yeah, and you could just feel it in the air, like. And um, I bombed the lift, and I just remember, like, um, looking back, and it seemed like, and maybe I could be wrong, like they were just like celebrating you know what i mean the, the and, russians uh, huh yeah huh? the russians oh uh, yeah 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 but uh um, so, so you know, what, what were your attempts at that because i was there but i was competing so i don't really remember uh all right so i want to say 675 and you missed that no i hit 675 then I want to say I jumped straight to 740. Okay, so I, I got it right here. You opened at 300 kilos, 661, and then you jumped straight to 723, which I'm going to get. Okay. Was that to break? No, that wasn't to break the all-time world record. That was probably just to hit a PR. Bro, but I missed the 723. You missed it twice, yeah. Twice, so I bombed. I basically bombed out in that meet. How I looked at it was like... Well, you hit, you hit your opener, but it's like, it doesn't fucking matter. That's not what you I, came there for. You I didn't come can. there for a warm-up, right? I blew it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm back in Maybe it could just be me, you know, and, and my insecurities, but I was like, everybody's laughing at me. And, and I was thinking, the next time I hit the platform, I'm not playing no games. Like, And I turn around, and I broke the American record three months later. So I stuck that 723 three months later, I believe. You have the timelines written down. Yeah, yeah, I got it right here. I opened up open powerlifting. 
then you hit uh you went to Reebok record breakers two months later and you hit seven sixteen. And okay. then it was it was in twenty nineteen that you hit the seven twenty three. It wasn't until okay. July 2019, and then Boss of Bosses. That was that was Boss of Bosses 2019. I didn't compete at that one, but I was okay. coaching at that one, and that I remember seeing your bench there. Was you coaching or was you talking? Was you commentating? No, I was just coaching. I wasn't commentating. Okay, I didn't know if he was commentating. I thought you were commentating at me, and that was like a controversial lift because that's when dude celebrated and he hit the fucking bar, bumped <laughs> the bar, and like I just lost control of it and. And that's this is when the mo- up. This is why I have so much respect for Corell still to today. Regardless, single handedly Corell, I know that I have the world record, but Corell probably is one of the most sound. He's the sound, the most sound bencher ever in the history of the world. If he wanted to push the envelope, he could have blown past probably eight hundred pounds. At, 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 at what, he was like twenty four, twenty five. I do believe him. so. I still would say, me personally. That's just me and how, you know, I give respect where it's due. And I'm not um, on his nuts or anything. I'm just saying just in general, he is, he is the greatest venture in history, I believe, Corell is. Just from technique to um, his ability, he just stopped. You know, I can't stop. I feel like I can't stop until I hit this 800 pounds. So it literally it drives me crazy. It drives me up a wall that I feel like I can't give up on something until I hit this weight. So. Um, but I am giving myself a time a time limit. I'm I'm, I'm putting uh, at least until May to my birthday, May thirteenth, two thousand twenty-two. Then we're gonna have to re revamp everything. I can't. It's not healthy for me to stay four hundred and forty pounds right now. Yeah, it's just I'm flirting with death uh, every day. So um, I just I'm 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 done. We're gonna have to revamp everything because I can't. I can't go on, you know, benching and trying to trying to be optimal at 440 to 460. It just, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If I, I mean, I'm just being realistic. I'm going to die if I don't make some significant changes in the next six months. And, again, it's not like I'm I'm eating, cr- like, like I'm going crazy. Like I eat cheeseburgers every day and Taco Bell and all this stuff, but just my habits are just not, you know, just to be it's open. Not sustain, not. It's not sustainable long-term. And it's like you and I had, you know, uh, conversations about that. It's like you have other goals in your life as well, right? Like wanting to build a business, do things for your family, et cetera. It's very hard to do all those simultaneously. It's Absolutely. like what you talked about. You want to get to that 700 barrier, to get to that all-time world record. You have to put your mind to that and only that, you know? And it's like doing the same thing now. It's like it, it's selfish to an extent right you can only do it for so long and it's like something that I kept picking up and everything that you've said and when you had you know your your moment when you're in prison and your you know your your daughter put her hand on the glass it's like you and I are the same where it's like our upbringing you know we didn't have positive environments we didn't have positive male role models anything like that and it's like I know that I'm, I'm speaking for you but I know the way that I feel is that like everything that I do is driven for my family you know, and providing a life for my family and giving them the opposite of the life that I had, right? And giving them the opportunities that I didn't have. So it's like, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, you've been you do, do, doing all these things for yourself that it's like now you kind of want to reset and see what else you can do, right? And you want to be there for them long term. And that's, I think that's the big thing. I'm not saying I'm going to completely quit benching, but like my one of my goals is to drop 100 pounds and come back and, and you know, break 700 pounds, you know? 
um, come back lighter and do it. Um, so I'm just saying being 440, I'm just going to have to go a season to where we get this, we get this um, weight under control. I'd like to at least get below four. The first goal, first phase is below 400. Um, that's just that's just the short term goal, and start implementing in strongman uh, training and technique, um, and then kind of starting to you know mix the two. But eventually, I'd like to uh, go fully into strongman, and uh, because I feel like I've always been built be able to do those type of things. I'm very strong uh, when it comes to all three lifts, but I've never got to try because Josh doesn't want me doing certain lifts or certain things because as we've seen in the past, um, in my experience, when you go deviate from programming, um, that's when error really happens, you know, deviating from programming. So uh, like 2018, the reason, the reason why I had such a long um, break was right after I did the 705-pound bench, um, a couple gym sessions after, I was like, huh, let's see how much weight I can squat. Put 700 on the bar, 735, 740 on the bar, squatted it. And then uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to do some accessories. I've seen one one of these kids doing box jumps. And I'm like, that's what we did in high school, bro. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but we you did. weren't fucking 400 pounds in yeah, high school, bro. Look, none of that stuff ran through my head. You couldn't tell me nothing because I've never squatted anything over 550. Right. And that day I 735 at like a RPE 7 or 8. Right. I haven't any programming or nothing. So I'm like, man, man, I'm just feeling myself. And I see this kid over there doing these box jumps up to a, He's doing like a 40, was it a 48-inch box? But he's doing multiple levels leading up to the 48-inch box. And these box, these boxes weren't your normal sturdy wooden boxes. Um, the soft plyo kind of ones, the cushy ones? Yeah. Yeah. How, you know, and this is, this is why you guys, folks, if you're listening and you have a coach, this is why you don't deviate from programming. Well, um, I think I tried to jump on the 36-inch box. And uh, the kid, you can hear me in the video, the kid's like, uh, you might want to step up and get a little closer to the box. And I'm like, no, I got this. I'm fine. <laughs> Literally, I'm four feet. I'm four and a half feet away from the box. And I take a step up to jump up. I jump on the box. I made it on top of the box. And but it, it slid. It was like a slingshot. Kid you not, the box tipped. Then I tried to shoot my leg back to catch to catch the floor to kind of break my fall a little bit. No, my foot kicked the box and it like slung me back even more. So whenever I hit, I landed like directly on my directly on my left shoulder, like my left lat area, um, and it 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 literally jarred everything. Because I mean, even at a even at a four foot drop, I'd say four foot drop from from where I, where I was at. Um, and I hit the ground instantly, like my body seized up. And I knew, like, you know, when you, when you feel the air leave out of your body, I was like, I think I'm about to die. That's what I thought, you know? So, um, and I'm laying on the ground and I can't move. I can't roll over. I can't move. And I, I'm like, man, I, I'd, have, I'd have really messed up. 
And of course, I looked up and my friends are like snickering. They're trying to hold it in. Um, but I drove straight to the hospital. You know, got X-rays. Nothing was broken. But one thing that happened was um, due to the impact, uh, I basically blew like every blood vessel in my in my back. Ooh. So yeah, so it's like when the blood seeps through, it's just like it does on the outside. It dries up. So every single time, like for almost three weeks, um, the blood would dry up, and it was almost like peeling a scab off my back, but it was underneath my skin. So it was just, it was probably, it was the most pain I've ever been in, um, in, in since I, I, I can't ever remember of any other time that I've been in this much pain due to me, um, you know, doing that box jump. So with that, I say that because um, for some reason, my my right shoulder was clicking like it was making a loud pop noise, and I've noticed this knot on the top of my shoulder. Well, I went to a physician, and they told me that I shifted my AC joint, and that my shoulder would never ever be able to handle pressure again. Oof. Like I have the knot, I still have the knot up here at the top of my top of my shoulder. Um. And he was like, yeah, you're not going to be able to lift a heavy amount of weight anymore. And it was just, this was, yeah, this was summer of 2018. Because once my back healed up, just things wasn't, the weight wasn't moving right. It just felt weird. It just felt like my arm wasn't attached to my body. Like it was just loose. I don't know what it, but it ended up being my AC joint. But anyway, it was like, I'm going to advise you not to be under heavy weight. Um, to be honest, I don't see you lifting that type of weight anymore. And I'm, it was like a total shock. I was like, how, how did uh, a box jump turn into me never being able to bench again? So, um, you know, I talked to Josh. What I did was I started getting t- deep tissue work done on my back and the shoulder and uh, basically proved the, proved the doctors wrong. I was like, I'm, no, I'm not giving up. I didn't come. I didn't survive everything that I've been through to stop at this point. You know, I had already committed to, like, I'm going to break the world record. I just broke a 700-pound bench. I'm literally, like, 30, 35 pounds off, you know. And uh, sure thing, I just slowly got back in and just started lifting and just, you know, slowly progressed and never had an issue since. You know, it's, it's funny because you say, I'm only 35 pounds off, but – for a lot of people, that's like a distance that's not even achievable. And that's then to life. talk about from going from 700 to 800 pounds, for oh. the large majority of people, that is, I don't care if it's on your squat, I don't care if it's on your deadlift, much less your bench press, that is not a, a jump that is achievable for the majority of the population. And that's where it goes back to, you're built different, man. It's, built it, different. you know? People, all, they're on me all the time. I get messages all the time. I just stop replying back to them. They're like, um, out of nowhere, you know, you got these trolls that are like, uh, well, how many times are you going to fail 800? Are you ever going to hit 800? Why don't you shut up and stop posting these videos and go start working on 800? And I'm just like. <laughs> Dude, people are <laughs> hilarious on the internet, man. I know. It's, nope. it's great. 
It's great. You're gonna you're gonna hit it. You're gonna hit it. It's just a matter of time. And it's again that's that's that mentality. But it's also it's like it, the mentality can only get you so far. You can have someone who's the most mentally strong person in the world, but you know genetics just weren't there for them when they were born to be an athlete. You know, and they're gonna be better off freaking saving the world with science or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But uh, you know genetics they just play such a huge role into it. You know you can't just, just wake up one day and say. I want to weigh 400 pounds and bench 700 pounds. I don't think people can like grasp as far as, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Like the, you have to understand the history of the sport of powerlifting before you can totally grasp how huge 800 pound bench is. Like it's almost like I would compare it to me. Comparison is like a 1200 pound squat. It, it's well, I th- I think it's by far. The biggest feat of strength. Nothing is even close to it. The eleven hundred pound squat that Dan Bell has done, and the the the, the different Russian guys before that. You know, a thousand pound deadlift. Like all those things are nothing because there's multiple guys. There's Jamal. There's Dan Grigsby. All of them are all right now trying to deadlift a thousand pounds in competition. There's been tons of strong men who have done it before in the past. It's like all those things to me are nothing compared to the fact that you, someone, is are enclosing in on something that's unlike anything and that yeah that's 100 percent the ignorance of people on the internet who just happen to follow you and don't understand the sport and don't understand the history you know but no you're, you're exactly right and i want to make this clear don't misconstrue our words and take it to we're not saying that it's it's not impressive and they're not great feats of strength it's just when you're and i'm not doing this to, it, it, to toot my own horn either i'm just saying when you're doing something that no one and that like no one has ever even thought about an 800 pound bench until i came like someone saying eight hundred pound bench is like uh, being achievable is like saying, all right, well we're gonna we're gonna fly, we'll take it, we're gonna fly this car to Pluto. That's what I mean. That's that's just how like far out. Yeah, is like the- Dan Bell squatting five hundred kilos, eleven oh eleven hundred pounds. Like, that was huge. But there was people who've been talking thinking about that for years. Andre Milenichev yeah. was trying that six seven years ago, or getting close to it. Eric Lillibridge was getting close to that six seven years ago. You know, yeah. there was never the thought of an eight hundred pound bench press. Never. Never. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's 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 absurd. The 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 madness behind it. Um. But the, the 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 reason why I love this sport so much is because of the community and the ability to like I have friends in the sport of powerlifting that'll be lifetime friends. That's what the sport of powerlifting has done for me is establish relationships that you I mean just not these relationships are not normal. You know what I mean? And some of the some of the best people that you meet uh, in this industry, you know, so. Um, I'm more, to be honest, I'm more grateful for just the experience and the lifestyle than I am the reward of competing. You know what I mean? Um, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, is the, valuing the process. Because it's, it's always like, how many times have you achieved a goal at a meet, and then you achieve the goal, and then, like, it's all hee-hee-ha-ha, and everything's great for, you know, a few hours, and then the next day you're kind of, like, pressed out. Yeah, that's that's my whole. Every time I, I break a record, I've never had time to enjoy the process or enjoy the the celebration because um, I put so much into it that 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 the that the reward is going to be this such 
great euphoric feeling, which it is briefly, but it doesn't last long. So in this season, I'm taking the value out of not so much on the on the on the on the on the uh, what the product produce what, what it produces, but the process. Does that make sense? So like the process now is becoming more important than the product itself, or or the the whatever it is the goal the main goal. And maybe I'm 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 yeah. I mean that's that's basically what it is because. Once I invest so much time in in whatever it is that the, the end result, like I said, it failed. Every it never fails. Every single time that I've achieved it, it was like instant depression set in because I wasn't valuing the process enough. So, with that being said, the meaning behind it is once I value this process or value the process more than the product, that I feel like um, I want. I won't be as as and such, I'll be able to enjoy the moment. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, because I put so so much emphasis on, you know, winning and, and, and having, you know, breaking the records over and over again that it just takes the value out. For me, speaking for me, it just takes the value out of it. It just takes the value out of it. It's like it's not all what it's amped up to be. What, what What's amped up to be is the, pro, the progress or the process of what you learn in the process you know, the discipline and proving to yourself that you can do this over and over again and make it, that's life, you know, make it through those hard times. And I think it will be very refreshing because it's like you have that new mindset now going into whatever the next training block is, you know, where you're going to go for that 800. And when you finally achieve that milestone to be able to go down like a new journey without any pressure, because I mean, everyone, the world, you know, social media, whatever you want to call it, all has put that pressure for that 800. You know, you put it out in the world and it's like, you know, you say it, you say it on social media and you have a following, you know, there's no unsaying it. But it's like once you've done that, it's like it's going to be the biggest sigh of relief and it's like you can go on to this new journey and I'm super excited to see you in Strongman because it's something also that I observed when we spent some time together where you know I'm looking at you and I'm talking to you and I observe people and I'm like man this guy you know is 440 pounds but he's healthy like even though it's it's not healthy on your body it's not healthy on your organs but in the grand scheme of things it's like he's not gasping for air as we talk you know when you meet a lot of larger individuals you know getting up and down the couch and just speaking sometimes will gas them so it's like i know from my coaching background whatever you want to call it that you're going to have such a good uh, foundation and you know you're going to build cardiovascular capacity and you're going to really excel in something like strongman and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it i'm excited to experience it man it's uh and just to touch a little bit on what you were saying um it's not just 800 now the pressure is people are saying no he's going to get 800 what about 900 <laughs> I you think you I mean? and I could both say that that's probably not it's, achievable. <laughs> but it's like it, it'll never stop, right? So if I keep putting so much so much value in, and 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 I guess the end result, then I'll keep having the same result, right? So I'm I'll continue to do this. So that's why it's so important because the process will stick around a lot longer than than a world record will. Right. You know, work ethic, the discipline, all those things will carry you a lot further than you being, you holding the title saying, hey, look, I'm the all-time, I'm former 
the former all-time world record holder or I am the all-time world record holder for bench press, you know? Right. So um, I'm a healthy lifestyle, working out and setting goals in that manner. So besides strongman, you know, it's very cool that you spoke about all these goals, and I think it would be very cool people to, for people to hear what's next after that 800 pounds, cutting down, getting close to a 300-pound body weight, doing strongman, eventually going for a 700-pound bench, you know, closer to a 300-pound body weight. Um, do you ever see yourself doing a full power meet as well? So me and Josh talk like if, if I did a full power meet, it would be immediately after the 800. Okay. It would be a solid, like, eight weeks of just training for squat, training for deadlift, and then rolling with it. Because, I mean, do really. It, do it as big of a total as possible before you yeah. just reset all that. Before I reset everything. But, I mean, to be honest, like, you know, whenever I was squatting with, um, with you know, normal bar, um, Josh was like, I could see you squatting 900, 950 in six weeks, yeah. seven weeks. Just from my mechanics and seeing how quickly I progress when it comes to certain lifts. Now, given that's just a, guess, a guesstimation, but for the most part, um, I adapt pretty quickly when it comes to um, stimulus is placed on my body. I mean, it's just that's the genetic part about it. And I don't understand because nobody in my family has ever been gifted to be able to do anything like this as far as weight wise. Now, my brother, my brother can go jog literally. I've seen my brother jog 15 miles. 15 miles straight, you know, run back and forth across the city, but not, not lifting weights. It's just, I grabbed up all the jeans. Right. What about, what about deadlift? Because deadlift is something that usually, you know, doesn't play in the favor of larger guys, you know, being bigger, bending over to pick up the bar. What's the most you ever done in the gym? And I, with no, with no How much? training. You repeat that? How much? Over 740. Oh, wow. No training. So all three lifts are over seven. 735. Wow. No, that that's extremely impressive. Without any training, if you were to push close to an 800-pound deadlift, that's that's not common for a lot of the larger guys. I think, well, I, think I, I mean, my personal prediction, I could do like a 750-pound, 750-pound bench and 800-pound um, deadlift and roughly between an 850 to 900-pound squat. I think that's very achievable for me. I'm not saying I'm going to break the total record. Right. Uh, but uh, just to say, because people always think, like, uh, he's only a bench specialist. All he can do is bench. But really, like, I'm multifaceted. And, I'm, again, I'm not tooting my own horn because I can care less. I'm just saying, I just know my potential, my capabilities, and I'm not going to speak on it if I don't. Just like I told, um, I told Brian Shaw, I mean, I didn't tell him personally, but when I say, when I put my mind to something and that, that I can make it happen, I told I said, I'm the best basketball player in the world over 400 pounds. <laughs> I mean that. I mean it. So um, that's another thing. Like, I want to challenge Brian Shaw. He did it. He, he, he commented back uh, on a YouTube video that um, basically calling me out. Haven't responded yet. But one of the things is I want to get it together. We need to, and I, I'm throwing this out there. We need to have a powerlifting Olympics. I like it. Yeah, powerlifting Olympics with some Olympic sports and almost like a celebrity basketball game. Like uh, celebrity basketball. And even if we did a celebrity um, a celebrity flag football, uh, like a weekend full of festivities, and it's all recorded. I just threw my million-dollar idea. Dude, that'd be really cool, man. 
If if I didn't have a million things going on and I love planning events, I would plan something like that. But I feel like we could find the right people and doing something like that would be so cool, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it'd be crazy if you could do something like that. Think about. I mean, because if you think about it, how many people in the athletic industry, um, not in the fitness industry, have history in athletics? Right. Right. Thor played basketball, college ball, also. So did Brian Shaw. Um, big boy played football. I'm just saying there's a lot of people in the fitness industry that played sports in high school and their college career, you know? So, um, I would think that would be, it would just be fun to watch, especially a basketball game. Yeah. Cause best believe that football has got to be flag football. Cause if we get some uh, smaller know, dudes in, ain't no one want to be tackled by you, know, you bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be crazy. But it, I think it would be probably the greatest. It, It'd be people. It'd get more traction than. There's nothing like watching big giants or muscled up people play sports because yeah. people only can relate to them as you know lifting weights and and or lifting heavy things. Well, know? hell, I mean that's that's why you know Thor and Eddie Hall are boxing now. You know, it's like yeah. that's more entertaining for a lot of regular people and is going to reach a lot more regular people. You know, so when you Absolutely. said it's a million dollar idea. It literally is because that is yeah. why they retired from that and they're going to make millions when and if they eventually freaking finally fight, if they can both stay healthy, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it just really made me think about it when Brian Shaw, like, called me out. Like, he's in the middle of, like, Costco talking about something and it just – it runs across his mind. He's like, oh, yeah, and, and Julius Maddox said that uh, that he's the best 400-pound ba- basketball player in, in, in the world and, and like – um, he showed the video, but like I meant it. I meant every single bit of it, you know. So uh, definitely got to make that happen. But I say these things because I can't move forward until I get this 800 pound bench. Right. Like I have to, you know. So it's like this thing. I, this is what I feel, and I know it may sound dumb or or a poor analogy, but it's like you know how when you're watching um like those old pirate shows, like whether whatever it is. Hook is a, one of my favorite movies, right? I freaking love that. Robin Williams' Hook, bro. One of the best movies of all time. Top four, top, top five movies, right? 100%. But it makes me feel like, you know how where they have him when they're trying to convince him to be Peter Pan, right? And he's like, I just don't have it. I don't know. I don't I, I, I don't. I don't remember. And, they, and they're walking him out on the plank, and they have that sword, and they're basically about to send him, feed him to the sharks, right? That's how I feel. Like, I can't do anything in life. I can't do anything. Like, I'm, I'm being held hostage until I complete this list. But it's at my own it's, – it's my fault, though. You know what I mean? Right. Like, poor analogy. I'm just saying, like, that's where my mind – that's where I feel like I'm at right now. You're walking the plank, but you're also holding the sword, right? You're, you're in control of sword. it. Exactly. That's, me. that's, it. that's it. Thank you for – capping that up <laughs> nah man it, it's gonna happen man and i can't i can't wait to see it happen and i hope that i can be there i know you said by may by your birthday do you have any like tentative dates or you're just building for right now to you to you can decide so like like i've had offers for significant amounts of money like for decent amounts of money but man um just like uh the meeting at miami man like i just showed up and showed out you know so um I'm not giving no spoiler alerts, but just know we're we're trying to repeat that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, trying to make it happen. So 
And that, that um, that's like the nice thing is that it was kind of like a surprise, you know? It wasn't some huge production around that, and it's like, yeah. boom, it happened. It was good environment, good timing, you know, everything. Well, it's like one of those things, the stars have to align. Josh always says that. I'm like, why does he say this every time? He's like, he's like, yeah, when the stars align, you'll be ready. And I'm like, what the heck is that thing? Like, so philosophical. Terrible, you know? Right. But I get it. I get I finally get it in this season. What he's saying is that everything has to be lined up. Like, I have to peak. Like, I've never really had a – okay. The Miami meet was probably one of the first times I've been able to somewhat peak for me. But I wasn't, I wasn't fully in the peak. Like, we had – usually our peaks last from anywhere from six to eight weeks, like when we go into the peak phase. And I think whenever I did the Miami meet, I was only in like week two. Oh, wow. So we wasn't down to doubles or singles or anything like that. Um, so uh, it was just one of them things to where, you know, I, my, I knew my body was in tune. Like I knew that I had a, I knew that I was going to hit a PR, but we didn't know how much until I was under the, until I was there. But the stars have to align, meaning your programming, the atmosphere of the meet, the atmosphere. That's what people don't understand. The atmosphere of the meet. That's why I chose certain federations. People always act like uh, that. I've been, you know, and we talked a little bit about it. But like for me, supplementing testosterone, I didn't start until 2000, and I didn't start using testosterone until 2000 and the summer of 2018. That was already after, had to be after 2018. Yeah, it had to be some, or sometime after 700 pounds because I did a 716-pound bench press completely with low testosterone. After that meet, I went and got tested. My testosterone levels were like at around 300 um, after the 716-pound uh, at record breaker, Reebok record breakers or whatever. But, Again, to kind of cover my tracks, um, programming, supplementation, the atmosphere of the meat, um, all those things have to be like literally lined out and perfect. For me, I can't go into a meat where it's like a library. And, right. You know, people, are, people are missing lifts and they're just like, huh, walk off the, I've done those. And I can't perform. I know it's, but I just can't, I can't perform. I can't. I, in order for me to manifest that deep energy that I need, I feed off of everybody else around me. So I had D Bell there breaking records. I had, uh, I think he broke his total that, that weekend, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just had this atmosphere when you look up and 60, 70 people are holding cameras up. It's different than the way it felt doing that production a couple months ago. Right. Just, man, it was just like homegrown organic energy you, you know what feel i mean it. Like, yeah you feel it it's in the air man yeah, there's man. no mistaking it you don't have to manifest it it's just it's, it's already i don't know so with that being said guys choose meats that cater to you if you like it quiet then go choose you a, some off federation but if you like it loud and roaring and people slamming and slamming weights and pushing people over then uh wrpf is probably one of the one of the best meets to, to, to get in those, those, uh, those, that federation. Um, but, um, yeah, man, it, it, things have to align. The stars have to align. I get what he's saying that it has to be perfect, perfect amount of rest, perfect amount of supplementation and even water, 
all those things have to align for you to achieve something again that nobody else has ever achieved. And you know, that's basically that's that's it for me. You know, so once we get it, uh, I, I feel hope and hope that I can just finally relax and have peace of mind and actually enjoy life for a brief moment. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Well. Tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, where people can find you, what you offer. I know you have programs, you have your apparel, you have those different businesses. I know you said yeah. you want to work, definitely work on growing those, especially after the 800, put more energy into those. So where can people find those? Um, so uh, if you're looking for programming or merchandise, you can go to irregularstrength.com, I-R-R-E-G-U-L-A-R. Um, and just for content, you can find me on YouTube at Julius Maddox. Um, same on all other platforms, TikTok. Uh, I know it, it, it sounds funny, like giving a shout out to TikTok. I was about to like, say, well, you do the TikToks, huh? I, you're I too old. You're too old for that shit, bro. Uh, hey, listen, <laughs> you got to be able to reach these younger kids, yeah, I man. You, I know. So, uh, like it don't stop. But yeah, TikTok. I mean, I got about like 150 thousand followers on TikTok. Uh, but I just don't dance. It's just not my forte. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be on that dancing. But, um, yeah, TikTok, uh, Instagram, just give me a shout. Uh, I, I'm one of those type of guys that like talking to people, so I will answer my DMs. Uh, it might take me three or four weeks, but I usually sift through them. Uh, but other than that, man, I'm grateful to be on the podcast today, and uh, I look forward to doing some business with you in the future, and we're going to build this out and continue to grow, man. Absolutely, man. It's 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 a pleasure knowing you. I'm so glad that, like you said, this powerlifting community where you're able to meet these, you know, amazing people from all different types of walks of life or, you know, similar walks of life, you know, and be brought together. It was very cool to, you know, for our paths to be able to cross. And it's just the beginning, man. It's just the beginning. Absolutely. So 100%. thanks a ton for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Metal to the Masses.